That was beautiful, right? Amen. I always, my heart rejoices every time I see young people participating, singing, preaching, participating in church. I remember that I wanted to do things in church since I was a little um, child and um, started singing. And the first time that I uh, preached the word was when I was seven years old, seven. There's a picture. I have a picture. Uh, my mom sent, uh, sent the picture to me the other day. And um, he, she told me, do you remember these times? And I said, well, that's wonderful. Seven years old. And I was already preaching the gospel. Um, what a privilege it is for me to worship with you today. It's beautiful. I, I have that privilege every week when every Sabbath, almost every Sabbath, I go to a different church, a different congregation in our conference, in our association. Did you know that we have two, uh, 321 congregations in our, in our Florida Conference Association? 321. Uh, we just uh, organized another church two months ago, and we usually do it every two months. So that is, that is amazing. The difference is that sometimes I go to churches that are closer to home, <laughs> and other times I go to churches that are far. And someone told me this morning when I, um, uh, when I was uh, coming in that, Alan, you're... You're far from home. Tallahassee is far from home. But I would uh, submit to you that it's not the farthest. Would you guess where is the church? I mean, I'm, I'm stationed in Orlando, of course. I live in Orlando. There's where the office is. So four hours to Tallahassee, about three hours to Jacksonville. Four hours to Miami, and then what else? Key West, right? So Key West is actually closer to Cuba than to Orlando. It's only 90, 90 miles away. And I, I have to say that there was a time when that church was not part of North American Division. It was part of Inter-American Division. Do you know that? Well, thus far. That is four hours to Miami, maybe two and a half hours to go all the way to Key West. But we have a church there, beautiful church. And all the churches, everywhere I go, there are beautiful churches, just like this church here in Tallahassee. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the, the, the reading of the scripture. Thank you for Sabbath school this morning. The discussion was um, very good. I learned a lot. And thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to worship with you today. I want you to um, read uh, from First John, the first letter of the Apostle John, chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 and 20. 
the Apostle John is saying, we love Jesus or we love God because he first, what? Loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, that person is a what? Is that what your Bible says? That person is what? A liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have what? Seen cannot cannot love God. It's a statement. It's a straightforward statement. If you say that you love God, then you have to. You must. You have no choice but to love your what? Brother and sister. And how can you say that you love God, whom you have never, what, seen, if you don't love the person that you can touch, that you can talk to, that is real in your life, someone that is there, that you see, that you hear, that you touch. And then... The the Apostle John says, and he, he's referring to Jesus, and he has given us this command. Command. What is the meaning of a commandment? Is it something that you do when you feel you have to do it? Is it something that you, you know, well, today I'm going to obey, but tomorrow, may, today I might not be having a good day, so I... You know, a command is, is what? It's a command. It's something you have to do. He, Jesus, has given us this command. And he says, anyone who loves God, what does your Bible say? Must. Have to, must also love the brother and sister. Question for you, church. What is this commandment that John is referring to here? Think about the Ten Commandments. Is it the first commandment? Is it the second? Third, fourth? Where do you find this commandment? That you must love God, of course, and also your brother and sister. As a matter of fact, we don't have ten commandments in the Bible. We have 635 if you read the Torah, 
you're going to find 635. Some scholars would argue a little more, a little less, but 635 commandments. And I would ask the question again, where do you find this command or this commandment? Well, Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. He has a lot to talk to them about. He has a lot to say. If you go to the Gospel of John, you start, he starts a conversation in chapter 13. But, but he talks and talks for hours. 13, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He's still talking. He's talking about his second coming. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He is talking about going, you know, and preach the gospel to every nation, every town. He is talking about forgiveness. He is talking about you don't believe that you're more important than the other. It is not for me to say who is going to see it at my right hand or my left hand. He is talking a lot, but he also knows that his end, his death, is approaching. He also knows that the following day, Friday, he will be crucified. And I imagine Jesus thinking, what is it? that I want to share with my disciples during this Last Supper? What is it that I want to tell them for them to remember forever? What is it that I want them to think about every day? And then you find it, John 13, 34. He says to his disciples, my children, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment. I give to you that you love one another. So in the first letter of John, chapter 4, John is saying, and we have this command that Jesus has given to us. He is referring to that Last Supper when Jesus is talking to his disciples over dinner the day before his death. And he is saying, I have a new commandment for you. Jesus stops eating and delivers the message. 
This is the most important thing that he can share with his disciples in a moment like that. He is about to revolutionize the law and the prophets and religion forever. This is what he wants them to remember. This is the law and the prophet. A new commandment I give to you. Out of 635, I'm going to give you something new. And that commandment is that you need to love one another. You need to learn to love one another. Now, I would argue with you that there's nothing new about this commandment. So Jesus is saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There's nothing new about that. You find it in Leviticus 19. You find the same language in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. You find the concept in the Mishnah and the Talmud. is there. I'm thinking about the disciples when they heard the Lord saying, I will give you a new commandment. They all stop eating. Something is about to happen here. The Lord is about to change everything. He is going to change the law and the prophet. He is going to give us something new. He's going to get away with the old pact, the old testament. And now he's going to give us a new thing, a new way. A new approach. But when they heard that Jesus said, you need to love one another, they looked at each other and they said, we have heard this all our lives. There's nothing new about this. Nothing new about this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 5. This postulate of loving one another was a premise known to all Israelites since God gave the Torah to Moses in the wilderness. There was nothing new about this new commandment. The scribes and the Pharisees taught this commandment in all, the, in all synagogues. The Talmud and the Mishnah analyzed, analyzed the subject for years, for centuries. Why then, Jesus is saying that he is given us a new commandment. Why does Jesus call it a new thing? Well, I would suggest to you that the next sentence will answer our question. Let us read in the Word of God. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. And here is the new thing. As I have loved you.
That is the new thing. That you also love one another. The new commandment is that we love one another not as human beings love. The new commandment is that we love one another as Jesus loves. And there is a huge difference between how we express or say we love and how God loves. You know, sometimes we say we love. Sometimes we express our love to others. But that love does not represent God's love. Sometimes we say we love, but I would suggest that it is a dysfunctional love. I have couples come to me as a pastor. They're struggling with their marriage, and they come to me. And as they start to describe their situations, their, their problems, she says to me, Pastor, you know, my husband, he's not a good husband. He does this to me. He says things to me. You know, Pastor, he reminds me of his family, his mother. He's just like his mother. And then it goes from there, right? It goes from there. And then I hear something like this. And I tell him all this because I love him. And then the wife... The wife says, well, pastor, I have to tell you about, uh, the, the husband says, well, pastor, I have to tell you about my wife. She's this and that, and she tells me this and that, and she's mis uh, disrespectful and all of that. And, uh, and she also reminds me of her family, you know. Um, and uh, I tell her that she needs to change. And I told her that because I love her. Sometimes we don't know how to love. Sometimes we say that we love, but our love does not represent a true, beautiful, free love. The love of God. So my message to you today is this. Jesus has commanded us to love one another. And that is not new. 
But Jesus is asking us to love one another, not as human people, human, humans love, but as he love. Let me describe our Savior's love. A Savior who loves you says so from above you. From hide on a hill and crucified on a tree. The Savior who loves you, Christ, so far above you, his blood paints a picture of love you can see. Jesus did not whisper he loves you over a candle-lit dinner. He did not tell you that he loves you when he bought you a house. He did not send a card and flowers from heaven. He did not write you a poem in the clouds. He came down to be crucified. He made himself in the likeness of us. He says that he loves you as your sin hammers nails through his hands up on that cross. He did not simply say that he loved you. He died to display that he loved you in the most powerful way imaginable. God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And this is his love. Not that you loved him, but that he first loved you. Amen for that. Would you be able to love someone first? Or is your love the reaction or response of the love of that person in your life? The commandment of Jesus is simple. Love one another as I have loved you. I loved you first. Unconditionally. That is the love of God. Today is a day that you have dedicated to families. And what a beautiful day to talk about the love of God and our relationships and how we should love one another. Humans, love is conditional. We love those who look like us. We love those who agree with us. We love those that behave like us. We love those that eat like us. We love those who love back. We love those who are in our same social and economic status. Simple words, our love is conditional to personality, ethnicity, social and economic status, likability, behavior. We condition our love. For example, I tend to love those who are always on time. Perfectionist. And those 
that display a good attitude. I'm only trying to see in others my own characteristics. It's easy for me to love those that are punctual. It's easy for me to love those that are always trying to do best. It is easy for me to love those that have a good attitude, that exercise a good attitude. But how about those that are not on time? How about those that don't display a good attitude all the time? I have been commanded that I need to love like Jesus loves. A few years ago at the Seattle Olympics, also called Special Olympics, nine participants, all mentally disabled, line up for the start of the 100-meter race. I wrote about this in our magazine. Do you receive it? Focus magazine? The editorial? I wrote about this. This is the story you find there. At the signal, everyone left. Not exactly fast, but with the desire to give their best. Finish a race and win the prize. All but one boy who stumbled on the floor, fell and rolled and began to cry. The other eight heard the cry, slowed down, and looked back. They saw the, the boy on the ground. They stopped, and they returned. All of them. This is, you can find it in YouTube. You can find the story. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. One of the girls with Down syndrome knelt down, kissed the boy, and said, Ready, now you are going to win. And all the nine competitors held hands and walked together to the finish line. Is that a beautiful picture of the love of God? When you love like Jesus loves, you don't always win. Sometimes you have to sacrifice. But I would argue with you over and over again that you win when you love like Jesus. That sacrifice feels good when you love like Jesus. That sometimes you lose, but you win when you love like Jesus. In the same way, in the Christian life, in your marriage, in your relationships, with your family, with your friends, co-workers. When you win, they win. When all of us overcome temptation, 
or when one of us overcomes temptation. We all win. When a marriage is reconciled and a home is saved, we all win. When you help me to keep my children in the way of the Lord, we all win. When we finish a project together, in spite of challenges, we all win. When we learn to love one another, we all win. Jesus has given us a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. This is what makes a difference in a Christian. How do we identify a true follower of Jesus from those that say they are, but they are nothing but leaves? How are we known in the world? Jesus answers the question, By this shall all men know that you are mine, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Dear church, this is a commandment, and as good Adventists, we follow the Ten Commandments, principles of God, and the summary of all those beautiful codes or laws or commandments is simple yet profound. Love God and love your neighbor as you should, must love yourself. You know that sometimes love is painful. You know that sometimes we want to connect with people and show them love, but what we are doing is not really sharing the love of Jesus, but we are more like sharing what we think and what we believe is best for them. Ellen G. Y. says it this way, we have beautiful truth, beautiful truth but you share them in a way that have been so condemnatory that they have become a roadblock for people to receive the truth sometimes i rather be respected than loved When I'm told, Pastor, I tell you this because we love you, I wonder, maybe i rather be respected than loved this way. This is a dysfunctional love. This love is painful. And... Uh, And I would suggest to you, in a day like today, dedicated to our families, our homes, 
I would suggest to you that love only grows in the fertile ground of respect. Learning to respect one another is the foundation, is the soil where love grows. Even Jesus would give us our free will and respect. When we love like Jesus, we learn to love respectfully. And we give the other person the space that that person deserves. You don't have to impose. You don't have to adoctrinate. When you love like Jesus, you give the space for the other person to love back. I finish with this. If I ask you a question this morning, if I ask you to guess how many Christians were there at the end of the first century, I'm reading from the letter, first letter of John. It was reading about the year 95. By the way, it was not Revelation, the last book that was written in the Bible. It was the letters of John, the gospel of John, by the year 95. If I asked you how many Christians were there in the known world back then, around year 95, the end of the first century, Annus Dominus, A.D., how many Christians were there? Would you guess? Remember Paul went everywhere? He went to Spain, right? Luke went to India. So they basically covered the whole Roman Empire during the first century. How many Christians do you think were there? So when Jesus went back to the Father... He left 11 disciples, right? And then they added the deacons. And then Paul, or Saul was called, and he became Paul, the evangelist. And he went everywhere. How many Christians do you think were there by the end of the first century? Three hundred? Okay. 3,000. Okay. 3 million. Millions. Okay. If you read, I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend this book to you, The Forgotten Ways. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that Pastor Diaz, he read the book, right? Um, we have the privilege of having the ministerial department represented by Pastor Diaz and Dinora today. Thank you for being here with me, supporting me. Thank you, Pastor. The Forgotten Ways, buy it. You can buy it and, and, and you can read it. Alan Hirsch is the, is the author. 
he makes reference to extensive studies that deal with this question. And scholars, they, you know, there are um, theses and studies that, of people that dedicated their lives, their whole life, just to answer that question. How many Christians were there by the end of the first century? And they concluded, they concluded, scholars concluded, that by the end of the first century, by the year 100, 95 to 100, of the Christian era, or era, the scholars estimate that there were around 25,000 Christians in the known world. How many? 25. Why is that relevant? Well, because I want to conclude my message today with this letter that was written. It's an anonymous letter that was written to Dionetos around the year 310, the beginning of the 4th century, 200 years after we had around 25,000 Christians in the known world. How many Christians do you think were there by the um, early 4th century, around, uh, around year 310, when the letter that I'm going to write to you was written? By the year 310... 200 years after after the Apostle John, we believe that he died around year 100. He was an old man when he died. He was the only disciple that lived to old age. He was not killed like the other disciples. How many Christians were there by the year 310? Any idea? Scholars came to the conclusion that by the year 300, around 300, the beginning of the 4th century, there were more, there were more than 20 million Christians in the known world. Now, you tell me how you go from 11 plus a larger group of disciples plus the deacons and the elders of the church and Paul. And then you go from 25,000 Christians by the year 100 to more than 20 million Christians 200 years later. But before you you try to think about that. Let me suggest to you that during that time, the church was illegal throughout this period. Remember? Christians were what? Persecuted. They were put to death. You know, Roman, Roman uh, uh, circuses, and they were uh, eaten by animals and crucified, and they were... They were cooked in, in, in hot oil and things like that. The church was illegal. 
throughout this period. They had no buildings or temples as we know them today. as this beautiful building here. They did not have the Bible as we know it today. They did not have the Bible as we know it today. There were no institutions or professionally trained pastors. Imagine that. There were no religious services like the ones we enjoy today. There were no conferences offering specialized services such as youth department, stewardship, evangelism department, children and family departments, women's ministry, men's ministry, pathfinders. They had none of that. There were no hospitals or dispensaries like the ones we have today, those beautiful hospitals we have today. There were no worship teams, no seminaries, Christian schools, electronic libraries with interlinears and commentaries, none of that. And I add, it really was difficult to be a Christian in those days. You were risking your life every day. Now, I'm not saying that having all of this is bad. I'm just saying that they didn't have it. Yet, they went in 200 years from without internet, without intelligent phones, smartphones that are not so smart, you know, uh, they went from 25,000 Christians all the way to more than 20 million. They didn't fly. They didn't have a car. How that something like that was possible? No pastors. No Bible. No Sabbath school lesson. Imagine that. How? Well, I'll tell you how. Because I would say that we need what they had. With all these institutions and, and um, all these things that we enjoy today, if we had what they had, I think the church would be amazing. Impacting the whole world. Transforming lives. Preaching the truth. With power. The power of the Holy Spirit. I found this letter. It's a letter to Dionetus. You can find it. You can Google it and read it. It's a large document. I'm only, I will only read a couple of paragraphs that describe a very strange people that call themselves Christians. Back then. And uh, the letter, as I said, is, is anonymous. We don't know who wrote it. But we know that it was sent to Dionetus. He was an official, a Roman official, around the year 310. And he is describing this very strange people that call themselves Christians this way. 
those who call themselves disciples of Christ. I'm reading the letter um, sent to Dionetus. Are not different from the people because they are from another country or language or customs. In other words, these people that call themselves Christians, they are not from a different world, or they're not, they don't come from a different country, and they are not strange because they are different than us and his planes. You see, they do not live in cities only for Christians. They do not speak a strange language. They live in all cities and they follow the local customs of dress, food, and other aspects of life. But, the writer says, but, all the same, but at the same time, they demonstrate the unusual form of their own citizenship. Christians marry and have children like everyone else, but they do not abandon their children. Are you following the letter? They marry like they're not from outer space. They're not from other countries. They eat like we eat. They dress like we dress. They have, they have the same customs of the local uh, places where they live. They have children. They marry. But they do not abandon their children. They offer to share their table. But they do not share their bed. They spend their days on this earth, but they say that they are citizens of heaven. They obey the laws, but go beyond them in their own lives. Christians, this is the writer to Dionetus, Christians love all people. But they are persecuted by all. They are brought to death and rich life. They are poor and at the same time make others rich. They are dishonored and thus gain glory. Their names are blurred um, and at the same time they are glorified. When, they, when people laugh at them, they bless. They are treated with cruelty and show respect. For their executioners. Show respect. For their executioners. When they do good. They are punished. For blasphemers. When they are punished. They rejoice. As if they are being given new life. They are attacked by the Romans as dogs. By the Jews as members of a strange sect. And by the Greeks as lacking in understanding, and yet, and yet, those who hate them cannot give any reason for their, their hatred, 
And even if they do not recognize it, they would like to be like them, and they try to imitate them. Wow. Is that powerful? Is that beautiful? Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. That person is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has sinned, how can he love God whom he has not sinned? And this commandment we have from Jesus that he who loves God must, must love his brother also. And that must means we have to. <laughs> It's a commandment. Praise the Lord. We don't serve a God that loves us like humans love. Praise the Lord, we serve a God that does not love us conditionally. I cannot imagine what would be of us if we had a God that would wake up in the morning and say, I don't feel good today. Alan is not behaving. I'm not going to love him. Not today. I am going to ignore him. I'm going to give him a silent treatment. Or I'm going to teach him how to love me. That is not God's love. That love is dysfunctional. And I call you today. Let us love each other like Jesus loves. Let us love our wives, our wife, as, least, as Jesus loves. As a matter of fact, Jesus is asking the husband, love your wife as I love the church and I surrender, gave myself for the church. Wives, love your husband like Jesus loves. Children, love your parents. That's the fifth commandment. So that you're blessed. Love your neighbor. Love those that don't look like you. Love those that don't eat like you, don't dress like you. Love those that like other music. Love those that are not in your same status, social status. Love unconditionally. And that would be obeying God's commandment. God bless you, church. 
God bless you. I finish with this concept. Show me a church where there's love. And I will show you a church that is a power in the community. Show me a marriage that loves. And I will show you an example of God's love. Show me a person that is willing to sacrifice, that is willing to love those that are not the same, that are willing, willing to love those that might behave different from us. And I'll give you a person that is Jesus in person, where that person is, home work, church. God bless you today. The church today has many things. We're blessed. And we, lead, we need to love like Jesus loves. Imagine the things that we were able to do. If we were the representation of the letter written to Dionetus. May the Lord bless you today. This is a loving church. Continue shining for Jesus. Continue loving your community. We are here in Tallahassee with a purpose. God organized this agency, this church of agency of love here in, in Tallahassee with a purpose to share the love of God in the community with others. That is what we are here today. That is the purpose of being the church of God here in Tallahassee. May the Lord fulfill his purpose through you and me, whatever you are. God bless you. I love you, church. I love you, every one of you. I love you. Because Jesus loved me first. Think about the message today. And let us represent the love of God everywhere we go. Amen. Amen.